Hey everybody, welcome to the Neighbors Church Podcast. We are so glad and humbled, and really, we truly are. We're honored um, that you would allow us into your headspace here for a half hour or so as we have discussions, not as experts by any stretch of the imagination, but as we have real-time conversations around different ideas and topics that are pressing us. So for today, I'm really excited because um, rather than it being my wife and I, we wanted to start introducing you to some of the staff of uh, Neighbors Church. And so I'll just go around uh, the table here. We have to my right, John Weston Mumford. Yes. Hello. I'm happy <laughs> to be here today speaking on this topic. Yeah. Uh, Weston is actually, uh, we actually refer to him as John Weston Mumford. Yeah. <laughs> just because that sounds so, uh, so profound and so astute. And Alexa. Guys. Yeah. Alexa is married to Shua and she oversees all of our uh, internet data. What is it? Media. Yeah. Communications. Communications. <laughs> Thank you. And then Ashley Escobar. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Yeah. Ashley is now overseeing our children's stuff and just really knocking it out of the park. And so as a staff, um, we try every staff meeting to not just jump right into organizational stuff. We try to either do a a spiritual practice of prayer or have a a conversation. And so here's, let me set the table for us for this conversation. Here's what happened. A few weeks back, um, I was deep diving the persecuted church and the suffering church. I was doing a lot of reading. Uh, I had brushed up against uh, Solzhenitsyn and his writings on the Russian gulags and what Christians endured in those days, and my head was just in that space. And so uh, the term that kept coming to my mind was radical Christianity, like these Christians that were laying down their lives, these Christians that were suffering in ways that we really can't even get our heads around. Um, And so I brought to the staff that morning uh, a line in the sermon that I was creating for the week, and I asked them, what do you guys think about the idea of radicalized Christianity? Radicalized, (laughs) like God the Holy Spirit is radicalizing a group of Christians. And you guys want to talk about your reaction to that? Because I was so excited. I was like, this is the most amazing, this is a great tagline. You guys were all like, please "Uh, don't use that word. (laughs) Why? What happened there? I think there was a pretty fair unanimous no. Yeah, I got the kibosh, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the way it's being used in our culture today is obviously not in a good sense in any of the senses, and we did not want to be uh, associated with any of those typical senses in which the word radical is being used. Um, I'm sure, I know there's, you know, we think of religious radicals, um, political radicals, you know, and uh, with the polarization and everything, everyone's a radical, and we just don't want to be associated with that that term. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was you? What gals? What was your push on radicalized or radical? Similar. I mean, I feel like it just feels so aggressive. Yeah. You know, like it leads your leads you kind of to like this violent aggression towards a certain goal. Yeah. And yeah. that's just not. It didn't seem like the right verbiage to use when describing a follower of Jesus. <laughs> Interesting. So see, they, they really pushed back on me on this. And I want, what I wanted you guys to hear was my experience because it leads to our actual topic for the day. As they talked about the tone of the word radical or radicalized, it's aggressive. It's um, not gentle. There's an intensity to all of these things. As they were reflecting with me kind of putting the kibosh um, <laughs> on my line in the sermon, 
I was reflecting and thinking like, wow, everything they're saying though is like normal Christianity, mm-hmm. like an intensity of focus. That's, that should be normal Christianity. Right. Uh, whenever we think of the negative way that people are sold out right now, like radically sold out to these ideologies, we as followers of Jesus, it would be normal for us to be completely sold out to Jesus's ideology. And so the sermon moved, the sermon line itself moved from um, radicalized or radical Christianity to what is normal Christianity? And then the rest of that section in our staff meeting was a discussion. Okay, what is, what is normal Christianity? So we're just going to spend the next 20 or 30 minutes uh, as a staff chatting about what normal Christianity is in this day and age. That's the question we're asking. What, what is normal Christianity, because I personally am persuaded that there is a sea change happening in Christian culture in the West. What I mean by that is, for so long, we have lived so comfortably, and we have lived in the power position in the culture, and that has been drastically shifting really since the 60s, and it's only ramping up more. And so Christianity can no longer exist in the culture as a place where I I have Jesus in my pocket, and he's something that keeps me comfortable, and and I do Jesus and Christianity when it's convenient, but normal Christianity through the history of our family, through the history of the church, has existed on the margins and has been oppressed. So I don't know where you guys want to jump in. You guys all have such tremendous thoughts as we had this conversation. What is normal Christianity for Neighbors Church, for us as a staff, in 2021? I feel like a great place to start is with the early church mm. and just what an example that was mm. for us. Um, so even when you like go to the book of Acts, it opens up with the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, if that happened today, I'd be like, what is going on? Like someone just raised from the dead, you know? And so even in that specific opening, there's this idea of like the supernatural happening and that followers of Jesus are actually called to engage with that, to see it and believe that that is real. Um, And so even in that, I'm like, well, maybe define what supernatural is, you know, in some kind of way. But for me, I just off the top of my head, when you like look through the book of Acts, radical generosity, that word radical, I even don't want to use that in that because generosity is what it is. It's just, 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 (laughs) it's just giving and being kind, you know? Um, And you see that with, Acts 432, when they're like, they share everything. Nothing is their own. I mean, I don't know anyone who really does that truly today in our current society. Um, we try, I think, as like our community and neighbors, we try really hard to like be obviously as generous as we can. But you know what's this, you know what's interesting yeah. about what you're saying, Lack, is the first century, they the first century church positioned all of their normal behavior. On this rat, on this belief, this mm-hmm. utter belief that they had seen Jesus yeah. alive, right? Yeah, that, Isn't that wild? changed everything. So that they were like, "Whoa! If if Jesus is actually alive, we can care for one another in such a way that we can sell everything." Are we are we missing something with with uh, uh, our lack of recognition of the reality of the resurrection? Yeah. And how do we bring that to the foreground of our mind? Yeah, I think um, they saw like they saw the resurrected Christ, and so it seemed that the early church really was living in light of of His second coming, and they were living in light of an eternal perspective. 
And from that, you see, they, they sold everything as you're talking about that generosity that they had. It's just, it's powerful. And it, it went into all the different ways that they lived their life that was, um, would uh, for us today maybe seem radical, but this was just normal. Yeah, I want to break it into categories. So normal Christianity, we're going to base that, I love this, Lex, we're going to base that on the first century paradigm that we see in the book of Acts. Step number one, normal, rec- normal Christianity wakes up every morning and goes, holy whatever, Jesus is alive. Yeah. And you don't cuss because Jesus is alive. <laughs> You're like, holy moly, whatever, whatever yeah. substitute word you need to get the expansiveness yeah. of this, like right now in this conversation, mm-hmm. you three, mm-hmm. right now, dear listener, the king of the universe is alive. Mm-hmm. That, that radicalizes me. Yeah in the best sense of the word and, and that's, that's normal possible, if that's possible what else is possible when you talk about healing when you talk about miraculous provision all the other things that you know you'll see through the book of acts and hopefully you see in our community now with followers of jesus so much more is possible than i think what the average like i'll say american or westerner who calls himself a christian sees in their life from the day to day yeah, and what's fascinating to me is generosity and benevolence and equality is in the air right now, right? But nobody has a basis for it. Everybody's like, we should have equality. Uh, the big hot topic right now, minimum wage, being equal so that you live above poverty. It doesn't matter what your economic philosophy is. Uh, what is your rooting in why? And the resurrection gives Christians this opportunity to be like, okay, there is a release from this. There is a, there is a, uh, our hands are untethered from this world. So we have resurrection, we have supernatural things happening. Yeah, if I can maybe take it in a different direction when we talk about the supernatural, I'm just reminded of um, Paul talking about, you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And if you just take that simple phrase that he talks about and you start applying it and looking at how the first century Christians lived it, how were their interactions with other people realizing that they're not fighting against flesh and blood? There's, there's something supernatural taking place beyond that. And so their interactions with those who harmed them, spoke bad about them, persecuted them, was so different than what we see and experience in our culture around us today or on social media today. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. John West Mumford Third. <laughs> so good. Ashley, yeah. No, that's so good. I just, um, we started this whole conversation talking about radicalization, which obviously brings to mind like political uh, kind of rhetoric but um and i just love what you have to say about like the supernatural being the forefront and keeping jesus the resurrection of jesus like at the forefront um i heard this great quote from um a pastor named garrett kell and he said matthew was a tax collector who loved rome simon was a jewish zealot who hated rome they came to jesus with radically different political views yet found unity in jesus matthew learned to love rome less and simon learned to love rome more they both learned to love Jesus the most. And so kind of cool how that's all coming together. And Yeah, and that's a, so that's a radical notion that we would love the enemy, that we would love the one different than us, but that's normal. And both of you two are addressing something that I think is so profound for, that is honestly a great 
weakness and um, there's an anemia or a weakness or a sickness in the modern church in that um, Weston, you addressed it. We view each other through a lens of the supernatural, meaning there are, we're not battling against flesh and blood, but it's very strange how this radicalized moment in our culture puts us at odds with each other. And it creates a sense where we're always looking at somebody with suspicion. Like, what conspiracy theory is this one bought? And then how am I, how am I going to go through my checklist of whatever they're saying? I'm going to tell them where they're wrong, right? But normal, normal Christianity learns to listen. But not just listen to tell somebody they're wrong. To listen and care for someone that is not like us. I think that this, for me, is maybe one of the most profound pastoral burdens on my heart, especially for our community. And if you're part of Neighbors, I would just invite you to pray intentionally about this. The church should reflect political, ethnic, and economic, and age diversity. Um, and as a church plant, uh, Weston, you were talking about this this morning, we're, the feel of Neighbors Church is that we're relatively young, probably center, left center politically. Um, and yet, the reality is we have a good spread. We actually have a good spread of different political flavors, at least by the conversations I've had. We have a good spread of age. We have, a, we have some diversity. I would love to see more, um, more brown and more black within our community. And that should be normal. That should be normal for us. Yeah. I think we should um, be accommodating. It should be normal to forego our rights. Um, and our own preferences and inconvenience ourselves for the sake of unity uh, in, in the body, for the sake of loving each other. Um, and I just feel like we, we don't really see that often in our culture today. It's, it's our own, it, we're, we're Americans, right? So we have our freedoms and we have our rights. And uh, the first century church, um, normal Christianity was to forego their their own preferences their own rights their own freedoms um for the sake of that unity and for the sake of um sharing the love of jesus to as many people as possible when they were under a dictatorship (laughs) the idea of personal liberty as we frame it in an american ideal didn't that wouldn't have even entered entered their mind like that helps me want to shift the conversation just a little bit um ash you had brought up this incredible quote um, I don't know where you sit on the theological spectrum. We have quite a broad theological spectrum, but Dr. Piper, Don Piper, has done more, I think, to shape the church towards a radical Christianity that is actually normal than maybe any mm-hmm. other living pastor. The brother just is extreme, <laughs> and he just loves <laughs> yeah. Jesus. And uh, regardless of where you land with him and his theological spectrum and his kind of Edwardian Calvinism... Mm-hmm. Um, Whatever he calls the church to love Jesus radically as as if it's normal, mm-hmm. and you had you had heard something. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, same. No matter what you your views on paper, I think that this was a good reminder for me because um, he shared some perspective on kind of the current cultural moment and sort of like the the different inks that's happening. But he called kind of given an exhortation to pastors and how they were preaching to their congregations and. He says, imagine that America collapses, first anarchy, then tyranny, from the left or the or from the right or the left. Imagine that religious freedom is gone. What remains for Christians is fines, prison, 
exile, and martyrdom. Then ask yourself this, has my preaching been developing real radical Christians? Christians who can sing on the scaffold, let the goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Christians who will act like the believers in Hebrews 10.34, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So yeah, just I think it's just a good reminder to us that um, what is truly the focal point? What are we focusing on? And if things were to go south, like where where would our security lie? You know, is it in the sense of control that we have over how much freedom we have, or the choices that we can make, or is it truly in in Christ? Like like you were saying, like the resurrection of Jesus is where our hope lies, and so. That was a reminder for me, um, mm. just putting things into perspective. I have a question for you, Ash, and for myself. We have three kids. When you two begin to get ready to have kids, this will be a question that you're going to have to really uh, ruminate on. Piper asks, has my preaching developed real radical Christians? What are your thoughts as a mama raising kids in this environment? Are, how are we? I have three teenage kids. How are you thinking about your little babies and raising them as Christians that will live this normal Christian life that I think you and I, uh, our generation is seeing the passing of religious liberty as we've understood it. And that's not doomsday. I'm mm-hmm. not a conspiracy theorist yeah. guy. We don't need the emails on that. But, um, <laughs> Or you can email me and we'll have a conversation about it. <laughs> what are your thoughts about raising babies and what you want your kids to look like? Yeah, well, I definitely, yeah, you can definitely interchange the word preaching there for parenting you know has your Mm. parenting um led your children to this place of like i abide in jesus and that's where my hope lies and i think about that every day you know like we go to the park and we we interact with lots of other little kids and families and i just think about the future and what this world is going to look like for them and it's a constant reminder that every day pointing out okay here's where god god's provision is here's you know what he's done in our life and just continually sharing with that that with them um so when the noise of the world gets louder or the chaos gets louder they know okay like i can find my hope in jesus i can find my security there um but i'm not gonna lie sometimes it is scary (laughs) sometimes it is is a little bit nerve-wracking um not knowing if certain policies will be put in place or you know and i definitely don't want to go into that right now but i mean it's just it's a reminder of okay Things could get really crazy, and how am I shaping my children to withstand in the years that I'm not? Maybe I'm not there with them. Maybe I am for a long time, hopefully. But yeah, um, it's it's really good, and it is. It's you know, at neighbors, we have this. uh, We cast vision not for the next year. Like, come on, guys, rally the troops. We're going to do this this year. We're more like, let's cast vision for our great grandkids. How the decisions we're making right now are going to affect our great grandkids. And I know for me personally, when I think about my teenage kids, you know, I tend to have a bit of a doomsday apocalyptic thing in me. And so I'm always, I'm looking, I'm always looking and somewhat hoping for the end of the world. (laughs) And so I've raised my children in such a way uh, that prayerfully they know if, if everything was to fall apart as they understand it at baseline is Jesus. And they have this incredible mom, like my wife, Alexis. Alexis genuinely has the gift of faith. I, I have never been around somebody with such uh, an obvious Holy Spirit 
given gift of faith. And so no matter what is happening in my wife's life, she literally, her retort, her response to all of life is, it does not matter. I have Jesus and I will be resurrected. I, I will live forever with him. And so that, that level of faith, though, I watch my wife and I'm like, hmm, that's normal. <laughs> like, that should be normal. Not the pessimism that I exhibit. I think pessimism and cynicism and a somewhat dark outlook on life is normal. But my kids have been raised by this beautiful woman of wisdom, and I see that reflected in their lives. So normal Christianity, it starts with the resurrection. It's, it's, it's reading the book of Acts saying, tongues of fire come on us. It's saying we can live with this radically benevolent and generous way of viewing each other, which I think we're all coming short of, if we're honest. Um, we just are, and we have to be honest about that. Um, radical Christianity is aware that there's nothing in this world that, um, that we can live for, that we can hold on to. And so we let it, we let it go. There's some stuff in here where you guys had mentioned uh, radical Christianity and the notions of uh, forgiveness, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was um, pondering this too. Um, just forgiveness, there's really no uh, framework for it today, I feel like. There's just no concept of forgiveness in our society anymore. It's only, um, which is, you know, good too, and it's good we're talking about that too, but it's, it's only justice or it's only retribution. And I think that there's a balance there that we see in Jesus of, oh, well, just exuberant, abundant, uh, just forgiveness that is over the top that we see in the cross. And as Christians, it's normal for us to put our first foot forward to forgive. It's normal for us to struggle to the end to forgive the other person. And, And that's not to belittle or minimize serious harm that has been done. Um, and those are things that take a lot of time, a lot of healing. Um, but I think as Christians also, we, our, 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 first, our first foot forward is to press on to try to forgive the other people. And I just feel like in our, in our society right now, we're not, we're not seeing forgiveness. It's, it's not a, a value. It's, it's not a value at all. Yeah, forgiveness requires that we absorb the wrong of another without a sense of immediate justice. And right now, everything is about justice. Um, the social justice warrior, for all the good that comes from the warring, the Christian posture is not social justice war. It is to absorb the war into self and say, I will absorb this. I will absorb the wrong. Um, these, man, guys, we're, we're at the epicenter of the difficulty of Christianity with this conversation. And I knew we would get here because. W- the deceiving thing about Western Christianity for so long is it worked in society. It worked. Christianity was a benefit. It was a promotion tool. It was the norm. And the shift now is going to, the shift to the margins um, is going to peel away the layers of this working in society. And so what is perceived as radical, what you do what with your money? What you, you have these weird sexual ethics, like what are you talking about with covenant and marriage? And 
what are you talking about with solidarity with community? Like you actually treat kind of people that you don't really know biologically as family. You treat them as family. What does that even mean? What are you guys doing? Things like, like what you're talking about, Weston, this, this forgiveness. You know, just briefly, I'm actually reminded um, on the forgiveness piece. I think it was 2016. Uh, there was a 16-year-old boy that went into an Amish community, or maybe it was a man. I can't remember how old. It was a school shooting in an Amish community. And he killed five um, Amish girls. Six, if I remember right, six girls were shot. Five of them died. And um, the immediate, the, the man lived in the community and the immediate response of the Amish parents of these daughters, these elementary school daughters that had been killed was, we forgive you. They actually went to the parents of and the family of the man who had done the killing, he killed himself after he killed these little kids. And they told the parents, um, you will be suffering too. You've lost a child alongside us. And so we embrace you. And the only reason I bring it up is because I remember there were articles coming out um, about this. The, the, and they were using words like, this is just radical. What is this? What is this? And yet, that would be considered I mean, how heavy is this conversation getting right now? That would be considered normal Christianity. Mm -hmm. I think like forgiveness, when you talk about it in our context, does seem foreign at times because there's a lack of awareness of you yourself needing forgiveness. So we ourselves first need to be forgiven. So if you live in a culture where you don't feel like you need help or you don't need a savior, you, you kind of do your own thing, then it would be hard to extend that. But I would imagine that those families had a recognition of the forgiveness that they've received from, you know, Christ in that sense. And that's why they're able to extend that. So I think more of that awareness. I think, Ashley, you bring us back to the, the pinpoint of how normal Christianity works. It operates in another worldly way. It operates in reference to the resurrection and to a heavenly reality. And this helps me turn the conversation towards some of the concluding stuff that I want to talk with you guys about. Um, the nature of, of normal Christianity, um, it, it understands, we understand ourselves as loved and content and forgiven. Like, um, let's see, how do I want to word this? So, for example, this morning at staff meeting, um, I opened our staff meeting by asking, what are you trying to control right now? And I was pleasantly blessed and surprised. As we ran around the table, each of us respectively shared, but the tone of what we were sharing was, you know, right now, I'm, I'm relatively content. And I actually shared, um, yeah, I've, I'm in a season right now where I've released so much of my identity, I've released so much of my sense of failure, I've released all of it, and I've come very at peace with a God who does with me as he wills. And, and there's one sense where I'm like, my the driven part of Dan just goes, oh, well, if this is the way it's going to feel for the next 30 or 40 years, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. meh, you know, <laughs> whatever, kind of boring. And yet there's also the, the deeper wisdom part that God has been granting me over these years where what if normal Christianity is exactly what Paul said? I live my days out with a peace that surpasses understanding. I'm not driven out of my head. What if normal Christianity is I wake up in the morning, not just saying Jesus loves me, this I know in my brain because the Bible tells me so, but 
I wake up and normal Christianity for me, radical normal Christianity is I live my day rooted in this reality. My body feels love. Yeah. Is any of this resonating with you guys? Or yeah. what do you guys think about this little section? Yeah. I mean, what, what other motivation is there to live your life for Christ other than I'm fully loved, fully forgiven, will be with him for all of eternity? You know, I think about the apostles like in, like we were saying at the very beginning of the book of Acts, like they, it's not like they were just going around and like enjoying this beautiful communion with their community and like healings and beautiful things like that. Like they were getting beaten for this stuff, you know? So like, why would they continue other than these more or these greater motivational factors of I'm in relationship with Christ. I have Holy Spirit. I know that all into eternity, I'm secure. That is the part that motivates this normal Christianity in our minds that seems radical to the world, but to us is like, no, this is the sweetest spot to be in, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, maybe, maybe when we look at those passages that are, that are so difficult to see, you know, Paul and Silas singing uh, praises in prison, or the apostles saying, you know, they, they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer. Maybe uh, we miss something, and that is that every fiber of their being reverberated with knowing the intimacy of God's love and his presence and the joy and the peace that passes on all understanding, like you were saying. Maybe they really, they really experienced that and lived it out. Well said. Well said. I don't Ash, did you have any other thoughts or no? I think that this is a great, a great concluding point for us. Um, you know, a conversation like this and a lot of our conversations, um, I think by our wiring and who we are as people at Neighbors Church, p- particularly this leadership team, um, you may walk away from these conversations going, gosh, am I even a Christian? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the point of these conversations isn't to condemn um, the four of us sitting around this table right now, we're the first to confess. Um, I think what we actually need to confess is that we don't feel loved enough to live this way. We don't let God's love motivate us deeply enough to move out into this. I hold on and I clamor for my little kingdom because I don't actually let the kingdom realities get deep into my body. And that's the process of Christianity, loved one. Normal Christianity walks in this immense Pacific Ocean of grace. Like you have to understand. You are so loved right now. You are so loved. And that it, it, it is the depths of that love as it transforms your being and, and uh, untethers and untangles your hands from the grip that we have on the world. It's love that does that. And so I think, you know, we've got a couple other conversations coming up that are going to address this issue of feeling condemned or guilty. Shu and I and another friend are going to be doing a conversation around shame which I think may end up being a series on shame. Suffice it to say, uh, as, we, as we wrap this up today, normal Christianity wakes up and says, the king of the universe is alive. That changes everything. It radically changes everything. There's a supernatural reality to the world we live in. We look at humans, not as flesh and blood, but we're at war with powers and principalities in this realm and we are the intermediary space. We're the thin space between heaven and earth. And so we can, and we should, as we believe more deeply the kingdom realities, we let go of our worldly goods for the sake of each other. 
We absorb the wrong in this world done to us. We love the enemy. We pray for stranger, friend, neighbor. We are a people of hospitality. We are a people committed to an ideology that is completely counter to everything in this world. Um, and it looks very radical. Uh, but my dear friend, uh, just become more and more normal as a Christian until the King comes. Shalom. Shalom.